0: Gracious Father, we thank you for your truth. Your word is truth. We give thanks for the opportunity to read it, to listen. And Father, that you, by your grace, have provided your scriptures to us by means of your love. Lord, we are undeserving of your grace and your mercy and your kindness toward us, and yet you have done it through your son, Christ Jesus, who you sent to die on the cross. His life was not taken, but he gave it up for your glory and for our good. And he did not stay in the grave, but we're reminded that he rose from the grave, and it is our great hope. And because of that, Father, we are so blessed that we do not have to just sit in sorrow but we can rejoice that when we die we will see you we do not lose heart like those who do not know you father be with us this morning as we dig into your word and we talk about these things related to the church we pray this in jesus name amen um this morning we are continuing a a series um about the church And we are going to address this particular issue this morning from the book of Acts, the chapter that was just now read. We've been doing a a three-part series, okay? Uh, Part one was um, in this series about the church is who we are. And we are a people that is chosen by God. We are his, his, his elect ones. We are his beloved ones. We are his church. We are his sheep. We are his people. We are God's people. The second week was about what we do. And what we do is we actually we do a number of things and but we preach the true gospel and because we preach the true gospel and we listen to the true gospel um, and we send people so that the gospel can be heard that we actually are a people that change the culture of the world of a lost and dying world because the culture is changed fathers love their wives and they and these these households love their children and and city are and work is impact homes are impacted cities entire cultures are changed where sin is repentative and there's turning to god and loving him and so therefore the entire culture can be turned upside down because of the good news of the gospel and the third uh thing that we're addressing is um the who we follow so who we are what we do and thirdly lastly in this series is who we follow now first and foremost we follow jesus now, now, we also follow under-shepherds. Um, so we follow Jesus, but we do follow under-shepherds or elders or passo- pastors insofar as they are leading us. I'm speaking as a pastor, so it's kind of weird to like, get the pronouns right. But, but insofar as they, we, us, me are pointing the people of God to Jesus. And if not, then you should not follow us. Okay? We no, it is so important that you follow Jesus that if we are not pointing you to Jesus, you should not follow us or anyone for that matter, but that's who you follow. God has arranged the church so that he has these, sh- these shepherds and under shepherds that, that you're actually following as far as mu- insofar as much as they are pointing you to Jesus. So today, that's what this is about. And the reason we are going through this particular series for us in the life of our church right now is because we have um kind of some family business that we're working on so if you're new or or new to things like church government or church uh uh, polity you're going to be a little lost just for a moment and but don't but hang in there because we're just going to go right into the text this stuff is actually in the bible but we're we're going to do a little change in our in our church governance we are moving from um the uh, kind of a more congregational system if you will to a more elder-led perspective, okay? And the short of it is what we believe um, is good and right for the church is that uh, the church really is led by these under-shepherds, and some, some people call it elder rule, in such a way that they are really under submission and being guided by them, and they're not calling things to a vote by a congregation. It's a really practical thing. Now, that being said, without giving you a ton of church history, we do know that there are vibrant and godly churches that operate in both different camps. Some churches operate more where, where the, the power or um, the authority, if you will, is vested in the congregation. They kind of rule everything. And there's other churches in present and throughout church history that have uh, more of the, the authority vested in the, uh, the eldership. This is where we're going, where it is, the authority is vested in the eldership. And what I want to do this morning is I want to, I want to demonstrate that very briefly uh, in the scriptures, because this could be a whole entire series in of itself, and you can read books. But I want you to know this, that there are churches that operate in both, and they're godly churches either way. But we think it's, it's we think that the Bible's more on our side to say, hey, look, elder leading okay submitting to this the submitting to the authority of the elders only because they are submitting to jesus and the word of god because what we're saying is hey we don't want to take things to the congregation say we want to call this to a vote when we stand before god someday we're not going to say oh sorry jesus we 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 told the church we voted on it and they decided against it like that's not going to fly with god we, we need to be, we need to say what scripture says and stick to that. So that's why we are moving from more congregational to, um, to, uh, to elder-led or elder rule, if you will. So if you will, please turn to the book of Acts. You actually heard it read this morning, but it'd be Acts chapter 20, Acts chapter 20, and we are going to I'm going to show you a bit of that by making some observations in the narrative that you just heard from right now. And then I'll be drawing from some other parts of Scripture as well, kind of demonstrating that that's, that's in the Bible. And, wh- and here's what we're going to see this morning. Number one, what we're going to see is we're going to see that the, um, that the church or the, the eldership in particular is really in charge of setting, number one, policy of the church. That the elders or the pastors and elders, we, I use those words interchangeably because it's synonymous in the Bible, as they actually oversee the church, not the church. The church does not oversee the church, but the elders oversee the church. And number three, we will see that the elders, and, and not the church, they, they're in care of the church. Now, that doesn't mean that other Christians should not be in care of each other. They should be. You should be serving. You should be in care. But ultimately, the, the, the leaders of the church, the eldership, needs to be leading uh, the vision and the direction and guiding in this way. And, and so, so determining policy and overseeing the church, and also, like, like a household, um, caring for the church, when people need to be mended and are sick and need to be guided and challenged, um, it needs to be ruled well or managed well, as, a, as another word that the Bible will use. Um, and lastly, because that is true, and then I'm going to show you that in the Bible, I want you to see that in the scripture, um, that there is, a, how, there is a, a proper response from the people of God. And there's two responses that we'll address at the very end of everything. Um, number one, uh, the first proper response to this is to, to actually imitate leaders in the church. And I want you to see that the Bible actually calls the people of God to do that. And secondly, that the people of God, the household of God, the local church needs to actually um, obey their leaders. And I want you to see that that's actually in the Bible. Now, that actually has some limits on it. And that word can sound weird in our culture, obey. To what extent? Well, there is a cap and a limit on that, okay? You know, we're 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 not choosing who you marry. We might guide, we're, we're not choosing which job you, you make, you get. We, we, you might come to us and ask for our advice. And if, if we might help and guide, if we, we, might, we might say, wow, we really see these gifts in you. Maybe these are the ways that God, God might lead you. But ultimately, there, there's just a lot of areas of life where you just need to uh, make your own decisions. But we, we want to guide you and coach you and help you and bless you, especially as it relates to your spiritual life. So that you're imitating these godly qualified men in the church that their life is is modeled in such a way after Jesus that they would be something that you could look to. Steve is one of our elders. I'm one of our elders. David's one of our elders. These are godly, qualified men, and we we want you to know, like, uh, a proper response. Now, I want you to—I read something not long ago, and I don't remember who said this, but I think this is a wonderful thing as it relates to talking about authority in the church and as it relates to elders in particular. Now, so, I don't know who said this, so don't quote me as me saying this. It's someone else but this this is a great, a great quote. Basically it's this. Elders without a Bible is an elder without authority. An elder without a Bible is an elder without authority. The reason the eldership has authority is because they are pointing you to the scriptures. When we are standing before you and heralding the word of God, our authority is not vested in ourselves. It is actually in the word of God itself. We are wanting to say what God has to say through his word. So now, if you will, look at the text of of, of the book of Acts, and then we'll we'll demonstrate that these other things are true. As you heard read, you saw that that Paul is actually, he had gotten in a boat, and he had moved to uh, Miletus, Miletus, which is like 25 miles south of Ephesus, Okay look like at the Asia area, he's down there. He has skipped it, and he has called these elders. Notice he didn't call the church as an authoritative body, but he called the leaders, the elders of that church, to come down and meet him. So in verse 17 of chapter 20, now from Miletus, um, he sent to Ephesus, which is up here, and called the elders of the church to come to him now he he did this because he was in a real hurry to get one place and he stopped and called them to come and they came and when they came to him he said to them now i want to pause for just a second and just observe by way of observation let you see something you know one of the reasons that we have a plural of elders that we have three is because we see that modeled in the scripture more than one scripture is silent on the amount of that plurality is it two three four I, it really depends on the size of the congregation five you know like how, how big is the church is it you know six people in a house like how many like 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 all those things uh kind of have a bearing on it but we know from scripture that there's a plurality so we could see that in the bible and we are modeling ourselves after that and when they came he said to them You yourselves know how I lived among you in the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. Notice what he says to these leaders about himself. He is actually hinting at things that he talks about in the pastoral epistles. Um, He is going to, we're going to see him say it in this very text right here. But he tells them, you know how I lived my life. Interesting enough, as you read the New Testament, one of the one of the exhortations that Paul will give a young pastor will say, Watch your life and your doctrine. By watching your life and your doctrine, you will save both yourself and your listeners. That's what that's what he tells Timothy. Okay? Without quote going there, just like this this whole watching the life m- and follow that type of life. Discipleship is about showing people how to do life and they're mimicking and watching you. When you're a new Christian, you're like, uh, you know, what do I do with this? Do, 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 do I get married? Do I not get married? Do I, Like, what, what is right? You know, do I kill this person? It should be really obvious. You know, we shouldn't have to disciple you through that. Like, no, you should not kill that person. You need to repent, turn to Jesus. But, but like, like there, there are things, you're modeling yourself after these other people. It says, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility, and with tears, and with trials humility tears trials that happened to me through the plots of the jews now when he talks about the plots of the jews we know like from reading the rest of scripture there were a lot of days that were really hard in paul's ministry there were people scheming and plotting against him he had these people that went down and really infected the church in the Galatia region and going down there pleading with them Don't, we did a whole series on that Don't turn you to this, like, work salvation garbage. By the way, people of God, and if you're new to faith, you're new to Christianity, you're thinking about being baptized, if you think that you will earn favor by God by living better, you need to understand the gospel with more clarity. We live better. We walk with God in obedience because of our changed heart, not because if I'm good enough, God will accept me. You need to know that. Because it's radically different than work salvation. Like, like I'm walking with him because he has changed my life. I'm not trying to be good, and then then God will accept me. God says, "Come while you're dirty and filthy," and He transforms your heart. But you saw my you saw my humility. You saw my tears. By the way, those of you that would aspire to eldership as the years would go on, you know we're gonna be we're gonna be working on um, um, developing future leaders in our church. Okay, uh, men and as you aspire, I want you to be forewarned that as we are watching, observing you, that you need to know that there are much tears and much pain, and there are many trials that come with leading the church in particular. There is much spiritual attack that will happen that you maybe have not experienced now, but if you join us, you will. And the more we are a threat to the evil one, the more of a target you will become. You just know that. You're forewarned. But it's glorious and great. So, you should want to do it if you're called and you're qualified. So the tears, the trials that happened among these these people that were plotting to hurt him. We know that Paul was drugged through the street. We know that he was beaten. We know that he was whipped. He had some trials. You know he had some emotional pain. People yelling at him, misunderstood. Talks about people who mistreated him throughout the Bible. And he says this. In verse 20, this is a great, that's an amazing thing. What we see is not only a life that is modeled, but he, we see a guy who did not shrink back from giving the truth to people. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public from house to house. I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and for teaching you in the public and from house to house. I testify both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me um, there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and inflictions await me. But I, I, I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and my ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And I know, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. This is, he's going toward hardships, and he's telling them, by the way, this is why they cry later, because they will not see his face again but go back up for a moment when he talks about in verse 20 how i did not shrink back from declaring to you anything profitable and then you go all the way down to verse 26 and he repeats it he's emphasizing this therefore i testify to you this day that i am innocent of the blood of all of you for i did not shrink right repeating from declaring to you the whole counsel of god okay who is he talking to? He's not talking to the whole church right now. He's talking to the leaders. He's talking to the eldership of, of the Ephesians church. And he's telling them, hey, look, your life really matters. Hey, look, your doctrine really matters. You cannot shrink from proclaiming the whole counsel of God. This is partly why we are moving away from a congregational system to an elder led or elder rule system because we are responsible as elders and leaders to not shrink. We're not going to call those things to a vote, men and women of God. We are going to proclaim what the whole council of God says and we're not calling it to a vote. If we have to stand before God and give an account of these things, we are certainly not going to call these things to a vote. And the eldership is responsible not to shrink back, but they are responsible to teach the whole council of God, teaching all of the scriptures, teaching and discipling men and women to, be, to, to love God and love neighbor, to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them all, um, all the whole counsel of Scripture. Now, notice how he goes back and he talks about. No, sorry. Dude, that was, that was weird. We don't know what that was. We don't know what it was. Speaker, okay? Um, it was a speaker. Or something breaking. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Notice, once again, he is talking to these overseers. He is telling them that God has made you an overseer. That's what He, he is saying that God made you an overseer, and you, and um, you need to be careful, and pay attention to yourself. I'm being repetitive because this is throughout the Bible. I want you to see this. I want you to understand the responsibility for the eldership, for the flock of God that they have, for you, for your souls. They keep a, they keep a watch on your souls. and They care for you. That's why they're going to tell you things, people of God. That's why we're going to stand up before you and tell you things. where you want to do it with, with argument and winsomely and love you, just like you would with your, your, your kids, by the way, or with your father or, or, or your, your loved one? We love you, but, and we're going to say hard things. We're going to say the culture is completely wrong and in sin. Don't go give in to this garbage, whatever it is. Love and follow and walk with Jesus. And so he's telling them, hey, look, careful attention to yourselves and also to the flock of God. This is the, the, the second part. So watch your life. Watch the flock of God. Why does he tell them these important things? And we know the answer to that question that comes in the verses that are following just after that because, well, first of all, that the church was bought with the precious blood of Jesus and we know that wolves are coming. Wolves come in a lot of different sneaky ways. But wolves are terrifying. Wolves shred little animals apart, right? Right? Now, they, eat, need, they need to eat. We can't blame wolves. But the imagery which Paul is talking about is how dangerous and how ferocious the wolf is. When they come in, notice that he says, they come in even among you. I know that after I depart, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Notice that he is reminding the eldership that they have the biblical authority to to cut off the wolves, to protect the sheep from the wolves, and to define what we're saying is biblical truth from what the wolves would say. Well, that's why there's going to be times we'll say, "Well, the wolves will say this." We might not use that language. Well, some say this, a, a, but guess what? Mormonism—that's whack guess what? Jehovah's Witnesses, that's whack. That's not the gospel. That is not Christianity. We are going to tell you those things, and we have a responsibility to do that. So the eldership has a responsibility to do that and not call a vote to those things. And that's why when the weeks come and we come to the congregation, so right now our church polity is such where the members actually cast a vote for those things. We're t- To keep in step with that document, we're telling our membership, we want you to cast a vote and follow us in this regard. Shepherds are required to lead, to guide, to protect, to care for the sheep of God. And we're saying, follow us in this regard. We think this is the biblical model and uh, come along with us. So if, if the under shepherds, the elders and the, and the pastors, have a, have a responsibility to do that, then we want to make sure that we stay in step with the scriptures. Therefore, he says, be alert in verse 31 remembering that for three years i did not cease night or day admonishing everyone with tears and and now i commend you to god um, and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified so he tells them to um remember, so he, to stay in, in verse 31, therefore be alert so the eldership is to be alert. They are charged with all these things to watch the flock, to watch their life, to be alert of wolves that would come in. And so if they have that type of responsibility, that means they're not trying, we're not going to call things to a vote. Even though in the near future we're going to have to call a vote for that particular thing. To stay in step with our constitution. We're going to vote to undo the vote. Okay? It goes on Verse 33, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. I love that. You see that actually in in Timothy um, laid out with the, the qualifications for an elder or an overseer right and by the way those are those really are the qualifications for every christian just so you know we you need to live a godly and holy life every single one of you but if you're going to be an overseer you have to have those qualifications that are in the scriptures you cannot love money and here paul is saying hey um, um you will notice that i coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel Apparently, there were hipsters in the first century as well, which is pretty amazing to see. I don't know what the, what, anyway, yes, yeah, so you know. You, maybe it was like skinny robes. I don't, I don't know, like whatever it was, like you know, skinny, skinny, whatever. So I covered, I covered in no one's gold and apparels. You yourselves know that these hands, they, they ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. And um, we know that Paul actually in places, he talks about how he actually did a lot of work with his own hands particular context. However, he did say that the people of God need to provide for under shepherds, uh, especially those that are, that are preaching and teaching that devote themselves to it. So he, 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 stopped, he, he does something very unusual, and I don't want like, do, to do a lot of explaining when it comes to this, but he did something very unusual for the context in which he was in is that he worked with his own hands, and he was tent making, and uh, um, I'll leave it at that, but that is not what he calls all, all pastors to do. Um, he knows that the labor, the labor is worthy of his wage, and we can see that right in Timothy. That we we need to pay for for that man. Um, so because it, it it's labor intensive. I cov- so in verse thirty four, you yourselves know that these hands they ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me in all things. I have shown you that by working hard in these, this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus. How he himself said, "It is more blessed to give." Than to receive by the way uh, um if we have th- there's many of you that are called into this particular this office we want you to know at branches one of the things that we say to those that would apply with us i mean you really cannot be an elder if you're not qualified but we're also gonna we're gonna look at your generosity we're gonna say look if you gotta like not love money and you have to be extremely generous you have to tithe if you're an elder you won't you will not be on the elder team if you're not tithing we want you to know that it doesn't they don't have to be wealthy or rich they have to manage their homes well. They have, to, um, they have to be generous, period, or else they cannot lead in that area of their life, and the, the sheep will not follow them. We know that as, as elders, and we want you to know that's really important for us and the culture of eldership that we actually have been developing. It goes on. He says this. He says, and when, in verse 36, and when he had said these things, he knelt down, And he prayed with them all and there was much weeping on the part of all they embraced paul and kissed him being sorrowful most of all uh, most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again they they accompanied him to the ship i love what that says this is an amazing way to end um for him in his ministry with these with these men They, he has poured his life out among them and they have seen it and they are praying for him and they are weeping and they know that they are never gonna, well, they won't see him in this life, most likely. And they accompany him to the ship. Can you just see the endearment, the love, they're just, their hands, their arms around, the sorrowfulness. Man, I want that for our church as we have Brothers and sisters that rise up among us, and then we send them out to do ministry. That there would be tears and sorrow because we know they might be going into an area of the world where they might die. And we won't see them until paradise. Or they will risk it all and they will plant in the neighboring cities. And planting a church is really hard. It takes a miracle of God. It's God who builds his church. But I long for tears to be shed over those people, those couples that we send out when the time comes. So we see, by looking at this passage, uh, a narrative of him talking to the leaders, addressing the leaders in the local church church to handle the word of god to watch their life to watch over the flock of god he's not asking the flock to watch over the flock he's watching telling the leaders that they need to do this and they they need to they need to beat up wolves and send them out and deal with all those things so this is what i want to go over very very briefly uh now that we've just laid out a, a narrative foundation i want you to see just very Briefly, that these things are so in the passage of stri- Scripture as well laid out in other parts. How about Acts chapter 15? We see, we see that the authority lies with the eldership. So, to number one, determine policy. And we see a model of that. Chapter 15 of Acts, chapters 15 of Acts, if you look at verse 6, you don't have to turn there. Maybe you just want to listen because I'll go through these very quickly. It says, the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider what? To consider these this matter and after there had been much debate peter stood up and he said to them now now the matter was related to um, a, a, um judaizers breaking it in and saying hey look you know in order to be a christian you need to be circumcised you become jewish and then you can become a christian um, and that would be not biblical but they they came together and the leadership came together and they dealt with this issue What did they do they set policy the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter and they had debate peter stood up and he shared some things then they had paul share what were the amazing things that happened to them verse 10 now therefore why are you putting god to the test right in the midst of all this this intense debate by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor have nor we have been able to bear, but we believe that we will be saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus, uh, just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent, to verse 12. And they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through him among the Gentiles after they finished speaking. James replied, brothers, listen to me, right? You know, you have, you have, you have, the, you have the leaders disputing this issue. They, they're listening to each other. And then after giving some background, verse 19, listen to the policy being set. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God with these matters. So number one, what we see is we see the, the, um, the eldership, and the leaders in the church setting and determining policy. This is, one of the fir- this is the first example where we see that happening in the book of Acts. It's really fascinating. It's an amazing story. And the church was at great risk during this inc- incredible time throughout church history. Then it said, seemed good to the apostles, to the elders, with the, and then the whole church thought so too. And they chose men, they send out a letter, and they, they encourage people. The church is called to, uh, the elders are called to oversee the church. In 1 Timothy 3, 5, it says this, 4 and 5, it says, he, he, when, he, when he is described, when Paul is writing to Timothy and he's describing the qualifications of an elder, he says he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. And by the, by the way, if he can't do so, he cannot. He's not qualified to be an elder. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Paul says. Now this is written to a pastor, to a leader we call these particular letters, First and Second Timothy and Titus and Philemon, uh, the pastoral epistles. They're read- written to them so that they will lead well. And so number two, what we see is the overseers are to um, um, oversee, or elders and pastors are to oversee or to manage, oversee the church. Now what happens from here is we see... Um, a very interesting managing of, uh, uh, what I want you to see is that that they are called to actually speak into the lives of the people of God, and he is going to get into the nitty-gritty of the household and the life of the church by talking about one particular issue, um, widows. Widows. Now, widows in particular in the first century could be very vulnerable. Could they not? You see, in the first century, if your husband died and you're a woman, you had no property rights and you had no legal rights. Did you know that, ladies? No property rights and no legal rights. That's kind of a problem. That means someone else can take your property, can take your stuff. All kinds of stuff can happen. Very vulnerable. And one of the things that the church did was to care for those. But what Paul does is he gets in the nitty-gritty of who is allow, actually allowed to be on that list. And what we see is that the leaders of the church are deciding, policy-wise, who gets to be on the list and who does not, if under certain qualifications. Now, their context is a bit different than our context, isn't it, right? Um, however, a vulnerable people, uh, Paul is speaking into it, to the leaders, who to say yes to, who to say no to. He says to say no to widows that are younger. He's saying, well, they could get married again if they want. Um, and the, it's highly likely that they would. If they're older, he gives a specific age, then get them on the list. If they've be, been married before, there's enough family that will care for them. And they should be caring for the family that they know. Um, and this, so I want you to hear it. It starts in verse five, uh, chapter 5, verse 1. He, he starts with talking about uh, how, how to address older men and older women and, young, and younger men and younger women. He says, do not rebuke the older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Treat younger men like brothers, older women like mothers, um, younger women like sisters, in all purity. Um, honor widows. Here it is, who are who are truly widows. He's being, being very precise, right? He's not saying that someone who's a widow is not truly a widow, but he's talking about widows that are that are that are kind of vulnerable. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make. Some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. Did you hear what that said? Command these things as well. Paul is charging the elders of the church to make commands. Proclaim what God's Word says. They are exercising some level of authority, saying this is what God's Word says. Um, Walk in righteousness. Don't don't be a gossip. Don't be a slanderer. Treat uh, older men like this, older women like this. Like he's telling them, giving them authority to do this. But once again, just like I said earlier, an elder without the Bible has no authority at all. We really rest on the authority of Scripture this is, this is what we, we lean on. Um, yeah, but God has set it up in such, in such a way that they, there, is, there is an authority giving to these under-shepherds and to church to proclaim and to guard the sheep, to protect them, um, to, to care for them. Number three, there is, a, there is a, a caring for them, which would happen in the midst of this, this, the details of these, uh, um, these, these women. Number four, they are to rule and preach. They are to rule well. 1 Timothy 5 um, Seventeen. let the elders who rule well, that's the language that the Bible uses, um, that is like to manage or to, to lead, to, to rule well, be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching, for the scripture says, you, will, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads in the grain, and the laborer deserves his wage. In other words, like you're supposed to pay that particular elder, but, he's, there's, but he can tell there's a difference between elders that rule well and those that do not. He says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. Now, there's a response to this authority that is given to the eldership in the local church. The response from the people of God is the two things. One is what Paul, excuse me, what the author of Hebrews says is to, number one, it's to, um, to follow their example, to imitate them. In chapter 13 of hebrews verse 7 it says this remember your leaders those who spoke to you the word of god consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith that's the first thing that's the one of the requirements the result of the authority that they have been given one is that you would imitate their faith and the other thing is that they should be worthy of imitation and if they are not they are disqualified or oh, there's repentance that needs to be happen that needs to happen. By the way, elders have to repent as well. They are not perfect. I know one in particular who's not perfect, and they are not. They need to be qualified, they need to be go- godly, um, but they need to repent as well of sin. The last part is this, to obey. In, verse th- in chapter 13, verse 17, it says this, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So if you think it would be an advantage of to you to be really bad to us, please don't do that. It's not helpful. It makes us not sleep well. It's, it's hazardous to our health and everything well. But the Bible says that. And it says so the second part is not only to imitate their lives, but it's actually to, to obey them and submit to, to them insofar as they are following Jesus. Those are the two things that come out of. Of, of, I think, biblical eldership and the direction that we're going as a church. And I wanted to be able to kind of lay those things out. One of the things we, we, we stood before you um, a few weeks ago, and we said, hey, look, we're going to change our constitution when it comes to this, but what we want to do is we just want to briefly talk about this in a sermon and say we want you to pray along with us. We want you to fast if necessary, and we want you to think, and then we want you to ask questions, but we are moving from congregational to um, elder rule, okay, and we think that that is a biblical, a more helpful and biblical uh, model because we just don't see casting a vote for all kinds of things in the Bible. Now, the elders, the elders can set up all kinds of teams, finance teams or whatever. Like for example, we have a, an accounting company that does our accounting. You know what? I'm not a CPA. I have no interest in being a CPA. I'm a pastor. And so I'd rather have professionals do all that kind of stuff and give us our management report and explain things that get complicated. Um, uh, we can set up teams that do things. I mean, there's a facility where things just have to get done, you know. I mean, the reality is the eldership needs to spend time on prayer and ministering to people. I I contact people all the time. I contact people and I, I challenge them and encourage them. Those there's those that are wandering away. Some of you are aware of, they're wandering away and they're challenged, they're not in fellowship. And I just, you know, I'll encourage them, I'll challenge them, I'll, I'll rebuke them if need be. Um, I was this week and, and wanted to, you know, I have to exercise, and that, all that stuff takes time. And so we're willing and we need to hand off certain things and have other people do them. But, but ultimately, we, we, the, the deciding, the policy, the leading responsibility in the church is given to the eldership. Deacons and deaconesses are assisting the eldership, so they are doing and there's team leaders that we have in our church that are doing as well, but, but we are really doing the, the work of, of overseeing and caring and managing the household of God. So with that, you have time to think and pray and fast, and then we'll call you to a vote on this issue soon. Now, there are times we may call you to vote on other things, right? This doesn't, like, let's just say that Pastor Israel gets hit by um, a hurricane in Fullerton, I know, a hurricane, a tornado, um, a hurricane that comes all the way from the, so we, let's say that happens and the church needs to hire a pastor. Um, it, it is wise and prudent to actually cast a vote for such a thing. We actually have that in the next document we'll be writing up because no pastor wants to take a job where 10% of the people say yes. They'd be like, yeah, thank you. Have a nice life. I'm not coming there. Like we would ca- actually have you have a take a, take a vote and it would, it would require at least three four, three-fourths vote of the membership to bring on uh, a pastor. So, um, but, and that also means that the pastors can't call the church to vote on something if we wanted to, but for the most part, we are setting policy and leading the church. Let's pray.